You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily on Draft. Every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel with Tyler Fornis, Thor Nystrom, a couple draft-loving football nerds who love to break down the draft. 365 days a year, almost 52 weeks a year, at least on this podcast. And uh, we like to bring you some draft-centric takes right here on Purple Daily. Daily Vikings Entertainment, where we just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die. And finally, the pads are basically on. First day of practice, actually, is this afternoon. We're recording this on Monday at about 1 o'clock. But first day of pads. The pads are on, boys. Football is back. No more off-season lists. No more random things to come up with. Just meat and potatoes football. We did a 53-man uh, roster projection. Judd gave his entire 53-man roster projection, which he's going to tweak, I guess, every other week or so during training camp to see who gets on it. Who gets off it? I might even throw you guys some names on that list later on uh, in this episode. But uh, let, let's start here. Let's just start with the, the main talker. So, Daniil Hunter, get a little Sunday morning news dump. I love when my phone starts buzzing when I should be sleeping in at about 7.30, 8 o'clock, being buzz, 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 because Daniil Hunter ends up uh, getting a new contract, a one-year deal, basically, that sets him up to be a free agent next March. Um Let's just start here. So, number one, I think we all are in unison that it's a good thing Daniil Hunter is back. But two, with him entering a walkier Thor, is this still put a high priority at finding an edge or finding an elite pass rusher early in the draft for next year? Higher, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it seems like what this is sort of facilitating is for Daniil to walk out the door next offseason, right? Like, Because mm-hmm. a part of that contract was that they can't tag him. So, I mean, like the, it seems like basically what's happening is like, it's like, this is sort of a, not a favor, but it's sort of like a, um, or not a stopgap, but it's like, you know, a, what do you call it? Resolution, but you know, you make Daniel happy and then especially make Brian Flores happy. Cause if, you know, the, it, like overnight it was like, oh, you know, the Daniel Hunter's on the block. And it was like, you know, all the ESPN reporters were reporting that and all that. And then you just had that thought of like, Oh man, if they trade Daniel Hunter, how's Brian Flores gonna feel when he took totally. over the stinkiest defense in the NFL? And now they're gonna trade Daniel Hunter right before the season starts. Like that would have been tough. Um, so now now he gets he, you know, Flores gets Hunter back, uh, which is is good for him. They're gonna play out the season, but without having the ability to tag him, and Hunter has been discontented with his contract now for multiple years. So you would figure that he's not gonna not going to give the Vikings a discount when his, when his contract runs out. So the Vikings are going to be 
and you know they, they're going to be in the same position as everyone else where it's just going to be like a a bidding thing and quasi showing that he doesn't like to give out long-term contracts i, I think fornis didn't you tweet out i, I think i've seen this today or yesterday mm-hmm. quasi hasn't given out one true contract extension yet he's yeah. sure, clearly he shown a propensity to not want to tie up future money so he's given out two contract extensions and one of them was Kirk cousins with the one extra year the other was cj ham which is it feels like a dummy extension and I don't consider it like a true contract. Both extension. those were kind of, I, I mean, yeah, technically the Cousins one was, but yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. They're not like, hey, I'm committing to you on this long-term basis. They can get out of the CJ Ham one relatively easily. The Cousins, he's probably gone after 2023, barring uh, something crazy happening. And it's, it's interesting to see how, like, because the one thing with analytics, and that's kind of how Quasi's being identified here as the analytics general manager, what a lot of people identify is it's pro football focus. It's football outsiders, great metrics, but analytics is a lot deeper than that. There are a lot more variables and equations that teams look at in, in house. And I think that's important to understand when we're having these conversations about how management views a player or a situation, because it's not always a one-to-one, Oh, their PFF grade is great. So we're going to you know bring them in or keep them. It's, not always what you see it's what they have that you don't see and i'm very intrigued to see how the data that they have that we don't necessarily know about with daniel hunter equates to not giving him that contract extension now it doesn't mean he wasn't offered one it doesn't mean that hunter doesn't want one either he wants to get paid he's made that relatively clear he wants to be paid a lot closer to what he's worth half that's his own fault and i think he understands that but at the end of the day He's still trying to maximize his value, which I completely respect. But maybe it's one of those things like we had the Kirk Cousins talks where Cousins camp want to guarantee through 2025. The Vikings were only willing to guarantee one extra season and they couldn't agree to it. It could be something that simple. And maybe when they get back to the table here later on during training camp or before free agency in March, they have those conversations again and they're able to come to a resolution. To me, and, this is a good faith deposit by Vikings management. Say, hey, we understand this wasn't our contract that we signed. This was something that was done by the old regime. We did right by you last year by giving you that $18 million bonus by pushing the money forward. We're going to do right by you again by giving you the raise that you deserve. And we hope by doing these things that when you come to the negotiating table next year, you are going to be more willing to do right by us and we can come to a fair resolution for both parties. That's what I think this is. I'll still say, I think he, I think he's gone after the, this season. Um, and, and I think what this does is it sets the trade value for him potentially at the deadline. If things go south for the Vikings this year, I, th- that's not what they're hoping for. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they did sign him, but like, you know what you're going to get if he walks you're going to get the comp pick at the end of the third round. So you now know what you're asking for. It's a minimum of a third round pick. If you get to the deadline and you're, you know, three games under 500, right? Like that's the bare minimum, right? Cause then you you're picking a little bit ahead of what the comp pick would be. If he walks out the door and you have to wait on the comp picks, whatnot. Um, of course, you prefer a second if you can get it, uh, you know, but like, of course you're only talking about a rental player at that point that then the team that you're trading them to, they would have a little bit more negotiating power as well. So you get a little bit more uh, juice, for, uh, you know, but 
that's all they'd be guaranteed with him or whatever. So, yeah, but yeah, I I just don't know because of the way that that coach, you know, the the two sides, the you know, the the consternation there and everything else, and the way that 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 Quasi has has run this roster and the cap issues that they've had. For me, this is sort of setting up like this is a a last year thing, and then and then Daniel's elsewhere uh, next season. Let me ask this: Did the Vikings? make a mistake maybe early on in this offseason not trading Daniil Hunter? Or are you guys okay with the fact that, hey, we're basically entering a walk year now and you paid him and he's happy in the short term. Flores is going to be happy in the short term, but he's also probably going to bolt for a new gig this time next year. Um, should the Vic- Do you have buyer's remorse and should the Vikings have actually traded Daniil Hunter earlier in this offseason to try to recoup some value immediately? I don't believe we have enough information to answer that question, right? Yeah, because we we don't know what they were offered. And presumably, if they had been offered enough, they would have accepted the trade. And we know that at least Quasey was listening because some of those reports came out, right? So, like, I just assumed that Quasey did listen and he got lowballed. We don't, again, we don't know what he got offered, but maybe, you know, was it third-round pick or maybe even, like, lower? Teams just trying to lowball him, whatever. I would guess that if the Vikings had gotten offered a first-round pick for Daniel Hunter, Daniel Hunter wouldn't be on the roster right now. So I, I think that's what happened. That, that's exactly it. We don't have enough information to be able to say, oh, they should have traded him, or oh, they shouldn't have traded him, mm-hmm. because we don't know what the offers were. If the offer was high enough, like, but let's use this as a comparison point. At the trade deadline, I, it was either last year or the year before, the Los Angeles Rams offered the Carolina Panthers two first round picks for Brian Burns. If they were offered that deal and they said, no, Quasey deserves to be um, criticized greatly for it because you take that deal. You have a 28 year old Ed rusher who's been in the NFL for nine years, who has a couple major injuries. One of them being a neck neck injuries are very fickle. Declan, you and I are pro wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Almost every pro wrestler has a neck injury and they can be incredibly fickle. Once you have one, and even before you have a major surgery. So understanding that context, if you get offered a big uh, compensation package, you take it. But we have genuinely no idea what teams are offering. I had heard some rumblings of maybe like a a three and a four. I have no idea how true that is. And if you said no to that, you you should, because he's worth a lot more than a three and a four. So it's, there's too many variables. It's, I, I keep using this reference. I used it last week with you and Judd Declan. It's the the math problem in Goodwill Hunting. But there's there's too many holes that we need to fill to really be able to answer the problem. All right. Uh, any other Daniil Hunter or edge rusher takes here before we move on to some training camp notes? You got anything else in your guys' bag or anything on that front before we go to the next topic? Just there, there's interesting edge rushers in the next class. There, there nice. always is. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that there will be plenty of options to choose from there. But we've also tossed out a whole bunch of other positions that the Vikings theoretically could use in the next class as well. So something else to keep in mind if you, mm-hmm. if you open, I mean, if, if Hunter's out the door, you for sure need that. And you're also hoping that Davenport's play jumps up. But keep in mind, you only gave him, him a one year deal. You could mm-hmm. franchise da- Davenport if Davenport, like, you know, if it, if it proves that, that, you know, he, he sort of goes back to where he was a couple of years ago and, and he's really good and you want to keep him, you can franchise him, but you, you know, if Hunter leaves, you still have a gaping hole on the other side, but yeah, you have these holes elsewhere too, but there are some good edge rushing prospects coming for sure. The Vikings are keeping their options open with, in my opinion, with the idea 
of keeping both Hunter and Davenport. But if they both fall off a cliff or for whatever reason, they can start over at the position. And you can argue whether that's a good or a bad strategy. But with the question marks surrounding both of them with both injuries and long-term consistency, you can argue that it's an incredibly smart play by Kwesi. Uh, let's go to some training camp stuff here. Uh, so actually, I want to start at the running back position. So Judd, in just the first few days, and again, the pads come on officially today. Uh, we'll get more and more notes and nuggets here on Purple Daily, so stay tuned for that uh, on training camp observations. But boys, Judd uh, gave a mock 1.0 of Vikings 53-man roster projections, and he has the Vikings keeping four running backs for next year. C.J. Ham, by the way, falls into the running back category, even though he's more like a fullback, H-back. He's just putting him in there for simplicity reasons. He has Madison, Chandler, Wong Wu, C.J. Ham, with Dwayne McBride on the bubble. Thor, you are the no. biggest Dwayne McBride guy there is. No. There's still plenty disagree. of time for him to get up here. Agree to disagree. How, uh, how upset will you be if Dwayne McBride's not on this 53-man roster? The only thing I'll be upset about is Judd being wrong. Judd knows I love him. <laughs> uh, so it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll bring me no joy. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think Dwayne McBride is making this roster as long as he is physically right. You know, and, and, you know, we talked about the, the hamstring and different stuff over the offseason. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Vikings running back room, it's not strong enough to take the chance to try to sneak a kid that talented through waivers, uh, whether mm-hmm. he gets poached by another team or whether somehow they sneak him through and they're able to get him to the practice squad. Well, then they, another team can just pick him off there. I, I just like your running back room is that bad. You can run run into one here with McBride and potentially that's a kid that can take a lion's share of your early down touches for multiple years. So for, for me, that's it. He's a prime development guy and I just wouldn't uh, take the, the risk of, uh, of doing that. So I, I'm going to layer my response in two ways. One, I agree with Thor. You don't let him try to sneak through, but I also agree with Judd. I, th- I think it's completely fair to say he's on the bubble and it's, we're projecting they're looking at what he's doing in practice. And I'll be at practice uh, four days over the next week to try and get a real sense of where McBride is, especially in the passing game. But because he came in with so many different questions where we just don't know what he is and how he's going to be able to project in some of those areas, because what he's good at, he's that translates immediately. And you know that you can count on him to be a first and second down runner right away he could start and you wouldn't think twice about it it's not about what he can do it's about the question marks of we don't know if he can do this and that's all the passing game stuff and because of what this committee is i don't know if you're going to want a guy who's just going to be a first and second down smasher when you have that in madison but madison has that excellent third down utility and i think when it comes to just roster construction having him on the bubble makes sense I would keep him. I've been projecting him to stay throughout all of my exercises where I've been doing them all off season, but I get where Judd is coming from because until you answer some of those questions with how that running back room is currently constructed, he it's fair to say he is firmly on the bubble. I just hope that they take him off and keep him. We've talked about this a little bit on the offensive line front, but it looks like the Vikings will be obviously running back their offensive line. That was their five guys from last year. Even the depth guys, you know, it mostly looks like to be the same type of depth dudes that are behind them and Schlotman and obviously Ole Udo. Are you guys good with this? Do you want to see maybe another ad here as, as roster cuts happen? Are you guys good with the starting five that they have now 
and also the depth pieces behind them. I love the starting five. I would have liked for the, and I talked about this in the lead up to the draft. I would have liked for them to get another developmental guy, but I also talked about this in the lead up to the draft. And uh, after the draft, the context of the situation that Quasey was in being with the limited amount of picks that he had, right? Like, I mean, the, with the Hawkinson trade and, and then, you know, of course, finishing in first place, you're picking later, then you don't have the second round pick. And so they just didn't have as many picks. And because of that, and then they also had, a, obviously you have a whole bunch of holes on defense. You had the gaping hole at wide receiver two, et cetera, et cetera. And then you had the limited amount of picks. And then they like, and I don't disagree with the decision to stay put in the, like that would have been the most logical place where you trade down to, to um, multiply your amount of picks where potentially then you could, you could address more of these positions, but they were in this weird contextual spot in the first round where there was four clear top consensus receivers and then a big drop on everybody's board, you know, in the media, in the NFL, that was just the take. And so if the Vikings weren't going to take one of those four receivers, they had to throw a dart uh, and they didn't have a second round pick to do it on one of the second round receivers. You know, of course they could have traded down, but again, you're going to be taking a chance on one of those guys, whatever. So I don't begrudge them for staying put and taking Addison, but that was the circumstances of why they didn't end up taking one of sort of those uh, developmental guys. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I would have liked that if they were able to, but I, I get why it didn't happen. Let's, I'm, I'm fine with running it back. I really am. Uh, continuity is one of the biggest things with offensive line play. And you talk to anybody and I guarantee you go right to Alex Boone. He's going to tell you the exact same thing. You need continuity. You need to be able to know what the guy next to you is going to be doing. You need to be able to trust what they're going to do. And plus when you learn the weaknesses, you can understand that and then overcompensate for and to help them before getting out into your responsibility. Maybe it's a guy like Darisaw getting a hand on the inside shoulder of that three technique before bouncing out. And because of his athletic ability, he can get out there and stop the edge rusher and get that chip. And those little things and nuances matter so much when it comes to interior offensive line play. I am fine with running it back, uh, especially considering the context of what last year was. I, I think the the insane number of pressures garnered by both uh, Ed Ingram and Ezra Cleveland. I think those were amplified a little too much just based on how we were running the offense and the lack of the running game. And I think the running game itself is going to fix a lot of those pressure woes because they're not going to feel as, you know, for lack of a better term, pressured in those situations because they're going to have the running game to be able to back them up. And that's why, even though running isn't nearly as uh, proficient as passing the football, it makes so much of a difference in game planning in helping your team be able to attack defenses because they know they're not going to just be able to expect, Hey, we're just going to throw it to Jefferson. We're just going to throw it to Hawkinson. Well, play action means more when you can run the ball, even though it works without being able to run the ball and being able to attack those weak boxes with six, eight, 10 yard runs is going to make a massive difference on pass protection as well, because defensive linemen aren't going to be able to just go upfield. They're going to have to take a split second and watch to see where the ball goes before really getting into their pass rush. Split seconds matter in the NFL, especially when it comes to rushing the passer. I think continuity is great. It'd be nice if you had an improvement. Um, Eclair just uh, kind of bounced up a little bit. She's she saw, the, uh, she saw Mr. Felix, but yeah, <laughs> continuity is good. Love it. Felix would not leave me alone there. It's like, get back. <laughs> Love that. Uh, yeah. Hey, on the defensive side, 
guy who flashed big time on, I believe, the Saturday practice was Lewis Seen. He made a humongous interception. It just finally felt like, oh, there's a noticeable play by a first-round pick who isn't a bust yet, but is certainly having his uh, his tough time there as Thor even gets Felix more uh, from left to right. You're like Lewis Seen. You're just bouncing all around. You're intercepting right. cats. Felix is like Louis Seen. Let me see. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We, he, he needs more experience. He, he needs to learn sort of how the game flow is going. Sometimes makes mistakes. As oh, here he goes again. Yeah, we, you're gonna we, trade. We, you're gonna trade back, and then you're gonna you're gonna grab Felix here. Felix Felix might get traded if he keeps putting these performances <laughs> on. This is, this is not a great showing by Felix. Today. Uh, I'll, I'll just bring Odie over and let him just run around and get Felix. Oh yeah, yeah. Cats we, love we, dogs we, too, right? <laughs> Felix is afraid of Odie, but we're working on it for sure. Uh, what do we make, though, of Lewis Seen's kind of big practice there? It seems like he has, I mean, because the microscope's under him so much with him being a first-round pick, he has a lot to prove. He might have the most to prove at training camp for the Vikings this year in general. What do you guys make of um, at least a, a strong showing at one practice for the for the former first-round pick of the Vikings? Well, it's funny. When when you see those those flash highlights of Lewis Seen, it's always the same thing, right? It's like when he's facing the quarterback and he sees it early and then he just flies there, right? And he gets there uh, in a flash, right? And then that's when he can jump in front of the passes or that's when he can disrupt the catch point or in college, that's when we've seen him run down the alley and stuff like that. It's when he has that entire, the, the panoramic view of the entire field. And then from there, he can diagnose the thing and he triggers immediately. He's a fearless downhill player accelerates super quick and then he's at the doorstep and then that's when he creates havoc um you know the the thing that we've talked about is you'd like to see him getting more live reps because he needs to fine-tune the instincts of Mm -hmm. we we don't want to make in the false steps we don't want to make in the misreads whatnot but when it's on and he he reads it correctly uh triggers in the correct direction whatnot that's when you see these flash plays it's not a surprise at all his tape at georgia especially that last season is littered with those plays. So it's not a surprise at all. That stuff's coming out. We just have to weed out the other stuff when, when he's misreading a play, whatnot. And hopefully as it goes on, we're, you know, the coach are going to see more and more of that in practice and only the flash plays. Quick trigger downfield. That interception was floating yeah. all around Twitter on Saturday showed his quick trigger. And when you have guys like that, Brian Flores is going to be able to do a lot more disguising with coverages that's where elite athleticism comes in because you have to be able to have the mindset and the brain to be able to read and react. And that reaction time needs to be quick, which seen expressed a lot in college, his read and react time was fantastic. And then that athleticism paired with it. That's when he was able to make a lot of those special plays because he has that four, three, seven speed and he's got that quick get off. Something we talked about, excuse me with uh Quasi Dopamensa is he loves that 10 yard split, that quickness, quickness makes a big difference. Seen that stupid to... explosion in the lower half. He, his yeah. vertical was like 42 inches mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Just stupid explosive. Yeah. And when you have that kind of explosiveness, that's when you can do those disguising of coverage. Cause you saw booth bail out. It looked like it was cover three and then seen basically just the filled that hook zone. And that's where he was able to get that interception. Didn't even look like a bad play from Rieger. Rieger went and to attack the football scene, just beat him to it. And you love to be able to see that and utilizing him in those areas where he can just read, react and explode with that quick trigger. That's when you're going to get the most success out of him. And that's how you're going to be able to build up that confidence to be able to do more with him. Cause he's not a traditional center fielder, 
but man, can he make a lot of plays in, in like that intermediate area, which is where you need to be great to win in the NFL. Yeah, what, what you're trying to t- – he I agree with that, but he is going to be a center fielder, right? Because, like he, – Here's my thing, though. Will he be? Like, I, I think so. Profile to be as far as the athleticism? Yeah. But is he going to be a center fielder, or is Flores going to use him sometimes in center fielder? Because to me, when I think center th- fielder, Thor, I think Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas was a center fielder. And I think Skeen's going to be utilized like Harrison Smith. They're going to move him all over. And they're going to get him to just be an explosive projectile missile. I I could see him being moved up towards the box sometimes, but like, (laughs) I can't see him being moved like more, like in more roles than that. Like you can't put him in the slot. He, He will get abused in coverage in the slot or different stuff like that. So like his roles can't be, uh, uh, delineated more than that. He, Mm -hmm. he needs to have it in front of him. You you can like I said you can play him as sort of like an extra linebacker by like inching him up there, and and I think we talked about this in a previous episode about how the one part of his game that I think is dormant that I think the Vikings can squeeze value out of that Georgia never did is pass rushing. I think that mm-hmm. kid could be an awesome pass rusher, and Georgia just never did it because they didn't have to. But like I also could see the thing of like you, know, you talk about like the disguising the cover different stuff like that. You know, if if they start, you know, using him closer to the box situationally, you could start disguising some of that and then start, you know, sending him off the edge, different stuff like that. I could see that sort of stuff. But like his game plays best when he's playing deep and then he can read the whole field, then trigger downhill. Where I, where I agree with you is he's absolutely not a traditional player in that vein. Right. Like, like he's more of like a hybrid where he had, he plays the game like a strong safety with a baseball bat. But then, like, the, like the, the other stuff, it's like the free safety. Like, that's the alignment he plays in. Uh, you know, he, he's looking to get to a lot of catch points and different stuff like that. He likes to play very deep. And so, if everything hits for him, he's, he's sort of this two way safety who is, this hybrid and obviously that that was the potential that they were shooting the moon on if he doesn't hit he's these disparate traits and the instincts never got there to sort of wrap them all together i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Last thing from training camp uh, that I want to get going here. Jaron Hall propaganda. Uh, Jaron oh Hall had a pretty solid uh, couple practices I'm, there, too. Now, Judd said he struggled I'll over the weekend. I'll just go mute for this part and let Forno go. <laughs> so we saw Jekyll and I. We saw some impressive throws. He caught the eye early on. But then over the weekend, there was some also some questionable things there. Uh, what did we make of the latest Jordan Jaron Hall propaganda update? Thor, or uh, uh, Tyler, excuse me. I know Thor's going to be muted here. Uh, Tyler, what did you make of, of a... Um, up and down, I guess we could practice for the rookie quarterback. Yeah, that's good. But he, I want him to show struggles. I don't want him to be flawless because this is where you're going to learn. This is where you're going to have the opportunity to grow. And that first interception to Makai Blackman, he had the guy open. He sailed it about three feet high, like little things. And that's where the little nuance, that's where Kevin O'Connell could come and be like, hey, you had the guy open. You had the right read. Now you just need to clean up a little bit and be able to do this, that, and you'll be able to hit that throw. I did not see the other interception where Judd had told me that Najee Thompson intercepted him. I don't know what that one looked like, but he's also hitting really nice throws. And I think you want to be able to see more of that. You want to see him hit those nice throws. And when he does make a mistake, how is he reacting? Is he going and receiving coaching? Is he accepting it? And then how is he responding from that? Those are the things I really want to see. Heck, I, I tweeted earlier today. I don't, I've seen a bunch of passing throws from Atlanta Falcons camp. I think all of them have been bad throws. And I think all of them came from Desmond Ritter. Like it's training camps, a time to struggle, but right. it's how you're responding to it. And Hall doesn't have any pressure on him right now because he is going to be a backup. So how is he going to continue to grow throughout this process? We're only four practices in right now. And the fifth one, as we're recording, this is going to start in about 45 minutes. Let's, let's see how he continues to grow and progress. Like he's still fifth round pick, but I'm still incredibly high in him considering that draft capital. I like that. He's at least throwing some nice balls. Anything to add there? Uh, other resident Jaron Hall fan Thor, you got any other uh, things you want to add there? Yeah, I don't. I don't put too much stock into you know. One day it's like, oh, he had a great practice. Yeah. The next day it's like, oh, he struggled. I I don't put too much stock into it. I I more or less agree with with what Forno said. Like, we know he's not going to play this year. He's not ready to play this year. Um, Forno being a big fan of his and me not being the biggest fan of his, we would agree on that point. This, this coming, and I think we would also agree on this point. Like this year, you want. Like the the whole goal with the Jaron Hall thing is he has mechanical things that they need to work on. So, you know, coming in his first week, two weeks, month with the team, like that's what they're working on right now. So it's like this isn't the finished product. Even next year in camp, it's not going to be the finished product. So, like, you know, of course, you know, there's going to be days like these. Right. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there there are going to be days in camp where like he's, you know, like he he's on a heater right? Like he's going to look good where it's just clicking. And then there's going to be other days because of his mechanics and, and the, the accuracy gets particularly errant where he looks terrible. And 
the, the other thing is um, some of the decision-making things that we talked about in, in college. I think that's also something that O'Connell can help him with, but that's going to be a process too. And I don't think that's something that's just solved in camp. You know, that's something where they're on like the flight, to, you know, New York or whatever for a game. And like, you know, O'Connell's like, Hey, Jaron, you know, like the veterans are sleeping in the back of the plane. Hey, Jaron, you know, no one's sitting by me. Come on up here. I want to show you something on the iPad. You know, like mm-hmm. there's just moments like that and, and stuff like that. Like that stuff, it's just going to be ongoing. All you want Hall to do, you know, during this time is just not fall on his face, show up every day, keep getting better and better. And like Forno said, just take to the coaching. He's a veteran kid that we know is a good kid that we know takes to coaching. Like all of his coaches at BYU loved him. So we're not concerned about that mature kid, whatnot. So yeah, just, just stay on the path and just keep showing progress. All right, boys, do you want to get to these Blesto grades? And if you want to get to them, can you also explain to the audience what the Blesto grades are? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Forno and I, we were going to do a, um, a segment where I toss an a guy that I – maybe I shouldn't say overrated, underrated, but a guy where – I'll frame it this way, where I was surprised at a position group where okay. the Blesto had the guy ranked or had a grade on him that, that – that mm-hmm. took me back as being higher and then a, a grade where I was surprised that it was lower and then just get Forno's reaction. The, the NFL gets grades from uh, two different places before the season it's Blesto. And then the other one's an acronym that I always forget. It starts with N Forno. Do you remember the other one, what the acronym is? No, but I know who you're talking about. I just don't remember the acronym. I always forget the acronym. But anyway, um, yeah, so I, I have the Blesto grades. We're, we're working on getting the other one. But they're always released uh, in the summer before the season starts. And it's it's not something that, like, when you get, you're always going to agree with. Um, a couple of these names I'll toss out. You know, people at home, they they might vehemently disagree with these. I can tell you. Not all the football people uh, agree with these either. Um, I've some some of these ones that surprise me. I've reached out to different people around football to ask them their opinion, uh, and some people have sent back uh, uh, very uh, 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 how do how do I put it? They, they've had very hard opinions about it, and blessed though in general, it just you know like you know it basically use it as a guideline is, is what most people do of just like, these are the, this, the group of people that the NFL is looking at and you use it as, as sort of a guideline. And you also current stock, right? Not projected. Yeah. Yeah. Basically where they're looking at them for like right now. Right. And then of course people can go up and down, but it's sort of just interesting. It's sort of just uh, right now, this is sort of where they see it. So Mm -hmm. starting with, the quarterbacks for now I, I wanted to get your your take on these guys now this is this is one that i sent a text out about because this was a guy that i'm actually i thought that i was more bullish on this quarterback than most um but his grade came back and was very surprising to me they have him as a second round grade number two on the list behind only bonex and one other thing I, I didn't say, Forno mentioned it in a previous episode. Blesto is only grading senior draft eligible players. Okay. So you won't see Caleb Williams on here. You will not see Drake May on here. Mm-hmm. 
just the seniors, you okay. know, at, at, at every position. Yeah. Um, but Forno, Devin Leary of Kentucky, number two senior quarterback on the Blasto quarterback rankings. The only other guy outside of Bonex with a round two grade. They list him as his most recent measurement, 6'1", 217. Does that surprise you? Do you think that's fair? Or, or what do you think about that one? It doesn't surprise me considering how many old heads are still in NFL front offices. I I wouldn't touch him in day two at this point. He's coming off a torn right pectoral muscle. I didn't think he was all that impressive to begin with. And we talked about this on a previous episode. I He's fine. I don't think he's great. I think he's like discount Will Levis, where Levis at least gives you some of that like high-end arm talent, which is why he got... While I think it's unfair, he got some comparisons to Josh Allen because his arm can do incredible things, but he's got so many other issues that he's got to work through. I just think Leary is an average-ish arm. He's an average athlete, and I don't think he has that type of upside, but we've also seen teams be willing to value that incredibly high, that uh, whether fair or unfair, that Kirk Cousins archetype. Mm -hmm. Kenny Pickett went in round one in 2022. There is nothing great about Kenny Pickett. He's average. And his ceiling is like a an average Kirk Cousins. That's not somebody I want to take in round one. And I I think there are so many better players in, than Devin Leary that are on this list. I'm surprised considering how I view him. But I'm also not surprised considering how a lot of NFL personnel will view him either. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. Like, yeah, not the not the biggest kid, but his size doesn't negate him. And you're right, like he's not a super athlete. He's he's an okay athlete. He's not terrible. Like he can he can scramble a little bit, but he's not not a plus athlete. And he ain't gonna steal yards outside of the pocket too often. But he is smart. Um, last, mm-hmm. you know, and and he does have accuracy for sure. Last year was hurt. Well, his stock was hurt because he was hurt literally. Um, missed the end of last season. And then now he transfers out of NC state. He's going to Kentucky. It's interesting. Kentucky brings back Liam Cohen, who last year spent the season as the Rams offensive coordinator. The year before that, Liam Cohen was the coordinator at Kentucky. That was uh, Will Levis's only good season in college. So then, you know, then Cohen goes to the Rams for a season. Now he's back. Interesting seeing him working with Leary here. If he can turn Leary around for the season, maybe then, like I, I could see Leary potentially uh, competing for like round three. The, the round two thing just seemed crazy bullish to me because mm-hmm. even as even as a guy like I said likes Leary, I I just don't see how the ceiling gets there because I'm with you. I the arm for me isn't good enough with the kind of athlete that you're talking about. He would have to be like a super brain with super accuracy to sort of get up there. We'll have to see, but I'm, I am wasn't quite seeing that one. Um, going to the other end of the spectrum, Forno, on a, on a quarterback that surprised me, I, I want to get your take on this one. Now, other guys have, have had this guy higher, and I, I think that's more justified, but I've seen some other guys in some of these too early mocks go way too far with 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 this where I disagreed with their takes but I feel that Blesto went too far the other way so I would definitely be in the middle but I'm I'm curious to see where you are cuz this is a very fun prospect but uh he has a wonky eval for reasons that I'm sure you'll get into when you respond mm-hmm. 
Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Blesto has a sixth-round grade on him heading into the season, even though last year he led the nation in passing yards by a mile. He threw mm-hmm. for like, what, was it 46, 4,700 yeah. passing yards last season? And you got Odunze and McMillan coming back. That offense is just going to be nasty. Nasty. And his latest measurements, 6'2 and a half, 221. And then I think over um, his most recent testing ran a 4'7 flat. So not a bad athlete either. And the other thing about Penix, for a, you know, a guy who's just a little bit under 6'3, that guy's got an NFL gun. Oh, yeah. So I think it's twofold here. One, as, as dumb as it sounds, he's a lefty. I, I love I, lefties. I, I do, too. But there's <laughs> only only like one truly great left-handed quarterback in NFL history, and that was Steve Young. Tim Tebow? Oh, sorry. Uh, Mike Vick? I hate you. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can make arguments for Mike Vick. You can even make one for Boomer Esiason. But yeah. at the end of the day, the only one that's been truly great was Steve Young. And I think there is some sort of, like, for lack of a better term, a, a prejudice against left-handed quarterbacks just because there's so many little nuances. And I don't even think prejudice is the right word. It's just, it's viewed as a detriment. And I think that plays into it. But the big thing that plays into it, which is why when I gave him an eval, I said, based on the film, he's a second round grade, but based on what his injuries and medical look like yes. he could be not even worth signing as a UDFA. He has multiple torn ACLs that have ended seasons. He had a sho- left shoulder surgery, which matters because he's left-handed that ended uh, his season uh, at Indiana. I think that one was 2020, the COVID year he's played for Kalen DeBoer when DeBoer was the OC at Indiana. So he came in and already knew the offense and was comfortable running it, but he, he went from a guy who was a great runner and scrambler to pocket passer. I think he had like 31 rushing yards and that includes sacks. So you have to contextualize that a little bit, but I don't have a problem with the sixth round grade considering the medicals. If you're going off film and you put him in the sixth round dog, I got, I, I've got questions for you <laughs> because this dude can sling it. If you have a chance, uh, you go to YouTube, Michael Penix versus Oregon. He's got a whole shot where he hits the cover too. So you got the corner, lets the receiver pass, and then the safety takes him. There's that There's that hole. And that, that was the hole of the entire Tampa 2 defense. That's why that scheme, uh, whatchamacallit, that's why it wasn't as successful as it could have been because everybody just kept hitting corners. Well, he hits that hole shot with a laser, and the guy turns around and takes it for 70. Like, he can do some crazy stuff, but it's the injuries. The injuries are going to hurt him if they come back with any kind of long-term multiple torn ACLs. What's the cartilage look like at that knee? Is it degenerative? Like these are the questions you're going to be asking. And I I don't have any kind of Intel to know whether he's going to be good or not in that area. Also, uh, yes. don't sleep on my left-handed quarterback, Kellen Moore. Also Kellen Moore is a lefty. Too. Oh, yeah. Look, the, the guy won 50 games as a starter at Boise state, but yeah, yeah his, his arm was worse than Devin Leary's. <laughs> I think for, for Penix, it, this goes without saying, but he needs to get through another season at Washington this coming season, totally healthy. He obviously has to have a great season again. Uh, last year. 20, I think he's going to be 25 by the time the draft comes around. Yeah. That's also a problem, and especially compiling the, those injuries. 
Sure, but you, you compare him to a guy like Hennon Hooker, who was 26 and coming off the ACL. If Penix has an awesome season and is not injured, I definitely prefer him to Hennon Hooker. So, Easy. like, yeah, so, like, for me, if he has – if Penix has the bonanza of a season and he, he's healthy or, you know, he doesn't get injured, and then, like, my medical team more or less signs off on it. Like, you're not going to get, like, the full sign-off on it, right? Because, like, he did have four straight – season ending injuries but like if they're more or less like you know like it's not elevated beyond what you know like you know you know yes he had those injuries but you know like whatever uh i i think i could get myself to a round two on penix like he's good he like he's athletic he's not a super freak athlete but he's athletic enough um he has that big league arm and the other thing i really like about him um i probably fetishize this too much with quarterbacks, but it's never led me astray. I hate quarterbacks who suck under pressure, like who are really, really good in clean pockets and by extension against poor opponents, like that can't generate pressure. And then like the opposite when, when it goes the other way, Penix is really good under pressure. He's good in clean pockets for sure. Um, but he's, he's good under pressure and he is also fabulous at avoiding sacks and coming up with answers in those situations. You're sort of manufacturing it. So, yes, I mean, he plays for a really good offensive coach in DeBoer, but it's not, he's not totally a creation of it. Um, just one random off the beaten track uh, stat for you guys. And it's a shocking stat. Uh, Penix, you know, he leads the, the nation in passing yards last year by a country mile. And yet Washington finished, I believe it was second uh, least in the country last year in sacks allowed. And you're like, how is that possible? Well, the reason it's possible is because Michael Penix last year, PFF has a stat called uh, pressure to sack conversion rate that they put on all the quarterbacks, basically where they're assigning blame to, you know, like mm-hmm. to, the, to the quarterback, whatever, based on the pressures. I'm looking on my sheet here. There's uh, Jaden Daniels, for instance, his last year was 30.8. So 30.8% of the pressures that Jaden Daniels got last year were converted into sacks. That is, that is a bad number. Another guy who had 30.8, very much smaller sample size was Cade McNamara. Um, There's several guys over 20, KJ Jefferson, uh, uh, our boy, Devin Leary, uh, Michael Pratt, Michael Penix. His number, 3.2%. And he's also very, very good under pressure, his passing stats. And he doesn't turn the ball over either. Mm-hmm. Starts, starts to sound like we're talking about a pretty good player here, right? The, the bugaboo at Indiana, it was, it was the injuries, and then the accuracy would wildly vacillate. Folks, that, that accuracy started to get a lot better last year. It's still not upper echelon. Like, uh, for instance, um, you know, like uh, Drake May, 75.4% adjusted accuracy last year. Caleb Williams is 76. Bo Nix was 82.3, although that's mm-hmm. a bit fluky because Oregon, a lot of their their stuff is manufactured close to the line of scrimmage. Penix was 74.1. That doesn't sound super impressive, but earlier in his career, he was like right over 70. So that actually has jumped up a bit. And Washington does, uh, you know, throw down the field a little bit more. If he can jump that thing up, a couple more percent points this year while keeping all the other stuff where it is, 
that's where I think we start talking strong day two prospect for Michael Penix. Situation matters. He's the epitome of it. Love it, yeah. boys. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We'll have more training camp observations for you next week. We'll have more uh, Blesto grades for you. We'll kind of incorporate a bunch of different things uh, into these episodes every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. We'll be back next week. Hit that subscribe button for daily Vikings entertainment.